Well, hey, Grace Chapel, great to be with you all today. As we get started, we want to give a shout out to the first official service of the Grace Chapel Foxborough campus happening today. There, that, that's the core group there. Uh, some of the core group gathered last night for, for prayer and uh, worship and dinner before I get started. And this morning, they are meeting for the very first time in their renovated sanctuary space with live worship and uh, Pastor Tom leading, and they are off to a great start. So we are really excited about that. Uh, I heard they have over 100 people there today, so that's a great start. We are hoping to grow that core group over the course of the next few months in anticipation of our grand opening on October 1st. So if, if, if you have a desire to be part of something new and exciting, to get involved with something on the ground floor that God is doing new and wonderfully, you can be a part of what's happening there in Foxborough. Even if you don't live down that way, even if you just kind of sign on for six months or a year, that would be a great adventure. So I encourage you, check them out any Sunday this summer, go and visit with them, or check out the Foxborough page on the website. But they're off to a great start, and we're really excited about that. Well, a funny thing happened on the way to the sermon this week. The Lord sent me off in a different direction. Now, maybe not a different direction exactly, but a different emphasis. Okay, we're still thinking together about what it means to live for the good of the world. But instead of talking today about the good of my work, I'd like to talk about something a little more fundamental, a little more basic to our mission in this world. And let me kind of tell you how I got there. Uh, last weekend, Karen and I were away in Vermont for the weekend on a quick little anniversary getaway. We were staying at a friend's house in the rolling green hills of Vermont just outside of Woodstock. And Sunday morning rolled around and we wandered on down to the little Methodist church we go to when we stay up that way. And it's kind of an occupational hazard. You marry a pastor, you go to church even on your anniversary weekend. So that's just kind of the way it goes. But we've been there a few times, and it's a wonderful church, and it kind of feels like home there. Um, it's a Brownsville Community Church. is a quintessential rural New England church. It's a historic white building on the, right there in the town center, beautiful wood interior. It's got the plaque on the back wall with all the hymn numbers listed there so you know where you're going. And uh, there are 50 or 60 or so people there of all ages, lots of energy in the room. It happened to be Youth Sunday, so the kids were helping to lead the worship, uh, including collecting the noisy offering, which means coffee cans passed around and you dump your change into it and the kids rattle it as they go around the room. So it was just a wonderful atmosphere. Uh, the church observes the liturgical calendar. And so on that particular Sunday, they were celebrating Ascension Sunday, which marks the return of Christ to heaven 40-some days after the resurrection. And so as the pastor was explaining the significance of Ascension Sunday, he said the best thing about Ascension Sunday was that it cleared the way for the Holy Spirit to come on the day of Pentecost. With, with rushing wind and tongues of fire and thousands of people being saved and baptized that very day. And as he went on and talked about it, it became clear that as excited as he was about Ascension Sunday, he was even more excited about Pentecost Sunday and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And he said to his congregation, you've got to be here next Sunday when we celebrate the Holy Spirit. And as I'm sitting there worshiping, I'm feeling a little bit embarrassed that I kind of lost track of Pentecost Sunday this year. Now, sometimes we work it into our preaching and worship calendar. It just didn't quite turn out that way this year. 
And I was feeling even more uncomfortable about the fact that I was not feeling as excited about the Holy Spirit as this young pastor was. Don't you hate that? <laughs> you know, you go to church on a spring Sunday and the pastor starts messing with you. <laughs> so I did a little business with the Lord in the pew there as we made our way through the service and the sermon. And by the end, I was really in a much better place and, and was feeling excited about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and I figured that was the end of it. Well, a few days later, we're back home, and it's Tuesday morning, so I get up for devotions, and I'm sitting on the couch, and I open my Bible to the encounter with God reading for the day, which is Acts chapter 3, just after the day of Pentecost. And it describes this wonderful story, this miraculous healing, and the power of the Spirit, and the name of Jesus. And once again, I sense the Lord speaking to me, stirring my heart about these themes. So I start scribbling furiously in my journal. And as I do, suddenly it occurs to me, this isn't just for me. This is for us. This is for Grace Chapel. And so I said almost out loud, Lord, I really want to preach on this Sunday. I want to talk about the name of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and changed lives, but I'm supposed to talk about work. And then it occurred to me, I'm the senior pastor. I can do what I want. So it's actually less about what I want as what I sense the Lord wanting us to do. And I sense that's what the Lord wanted us to do. So it took a trip to Vermont and a country preacher and the liturgical calendar and a quiet time with God and a little whack upside the head, but I finally got the message. So all this to say, it's not as though the good of my work isn't important and that I couldn't get excited about that topic, and we will come back to it. We might do a whole series on it next year, actually. But for today, I'd like to think about something a little more fundamental than that. Now, it turns out what we're going to talk about actually has a lot of relevance to our daily work. Um, so let's go to that story in Acts chapter 3. It's one of the best stories in the New Testament. We'll just kind of walk our way through it, make some observations, and see what we can learn about how individually and collectively we can be good for the world. Okay, Acts chapter 3, begin to verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. So this event takes place just after the day of Pentecost and the falling of the Holy Spirit. Remember now, these are the very earliest days of the church. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, men and women, are just beginning to understand and to embrace this calling to go into all the world and make disciples. They're just beginning to understand that they're supposed to be witnesses of Jesus in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But they're still not sure what that means. They're still not sure how they're actually going to do that. But what I'd like us to notice here is that this happens to be a very ordinary day. This is not a Sabbath day. It's not a festival day. It's not a holy day. This is a work day. People are going about their everyday lives in Jerusalem. They're doing their jobs, they're raising their families, they're running errands around town, they're doing whatever people do on an ordinary day in an ordinary city. And one of the things they did on an ordinary day in Jerusalem at that particular time was at three o'clock in the afternoon, they went up to the temple to pray. That's what you did every day. 
I don't want to minimize the spiritual significance of what was happening there, but culturally, it was a little bit like an afternoon coffee break in any city in the world today. Imagine people slipping out of their offices or their shops and running to Starbucks down the street for a little afternoon pick-me-up. Imagine some construction workers kind of stepping off the construction site for a few minutes, gathered around the food truck and telling some stories as they get ready for their last shift of the day. It was just a normal course of action. On an ordinary day, you, you went to the temple to pray. And it was also very ordinary to encounter a beggar on your way into the temple. The temple, of course, was kind of at the center of the city, so it was a busy place. You've got to think, think Boston Common, think Times Square, all kinds of people coming and going. And so passing a beggar in your way into the temple was as common as encountering a homeless person on Boston Common today. But as it turns out, on this seemingly ordinary day, something extraordinary is about to happen. Let's pick it up at verse 4. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Now, we don't know why this man singled out Peter and John. Maybe it was just random, the way these things happen sometimes in his city. But maybe, just maybe, he noticed something about Peter and John. Maybe there was a spring in their step or a kindness in their face or a generosity of spirit they seemed to exude. We don't know. But, but, but he asks of them, he asks them for some money. Now again, very ordinary interaction happened all the time, happens all the time in our cities today. But for some reason, Peter senses that this could be a moment. He recognizes this as an opportunity perhaps responding to a nudge from that Holy Spirit who now lives within him as of a few days ago. And so seeing this man's need, he responds. And notice the first thing he does is to look at the man. He looked straight at him, the text says. Now that's interesting because what's the one thing we try not to do with a homeless person is look them in the eye. We kind of train ourselves to look away because it's uncomfortable. We fear it's uncomfortable for them, it's uncomfortable for us, and we, if we make eye contact, well, now, now we're dialed in. Now we got a relationship going. And so we train ourselves to look away, but Peter looks straight at him. And then he says to the man, look at us. And the man does, expecting to get something, hoping for money, but look what he gets instead. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. It's a miracle. Right there on the city streets, in the middle of the afternoon, on an ordinary day, a man's life has changed forever. Remember, he's been lame since birth. He has never in his life taken one step in his own strength. And now he's not only walking, he's jumping, he's dancing in the street, breakdancing like some kind of street performer on a sidewalk. And this crowd gathers around. But it's not just the physical healing. Something much deeper happened. He doesn't run off to tell his friends and family. He follows Peter and John into the temple. He's praising God. You see, this man hasn't just been healed, he's been saved. 
He's been made whole and well, body and soul. And the cool thing is that I don't think Peter and John had any idea this was going to happen. I don't think Peter and John woke up that morning, hitched up their robes, and said, let's go save us some beggars. <laughs> I don't think so. They were just doing what you do at 3 o'clock in the afternoon on an ordinary day. You go to the temple to pray. But when they saw a person and they sensed the prompting of the Spirit, they went with it. They offered the man the only two things they had to offer, their attention and the name of Jesus. That was it. That was all they had. No silver, no gold. Their attention and the name of Jesus. They offer it to the man, and the Lord takes it from there and performs the miracle, changes the man's life, and sets the whole city abuzz. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And I've got to believe that Peter and John were just as amazed at what happened on that day. Friends, this same power, these same possibilities are as available to us today as they were to Peter and John on that day in Jerusalem. You see, we have to be careful because we come to stories like this and we have a tendency to say to ourselves, yeah, but that was then. This is now. I mean, this was back in Bible days when God did those sorts of things. This is the 21st century. That was the early church. This is the evangelical church. That was Jerusalem. This is Boston. That was Peter and John. This is you and me. And we tend to write these experiences off as long ago and far away. Oh, yeah, maybe God still does those sorts of things with other people more spiritual than we are. Maybe he does those things in other parts of the world where they're open to that sort of thing. But not here. Not in New England. But the message of Pentecost is that the same spirit that fell on those disciples is now available and work in our lives even today. In fact, Peter speaks to that very point as he goes on, verse 11. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. There's something really interesting happening here. Solomon's Colonnade was this covered portico outside the temple, kind of along the outer wall of the temple, this rooftop area where, where people would congregate. Now, it wasn't sacred space. It wasn't inside the temple. It was outside the temple. It was public space. Think Faneuil Hall. Think people just milling around and hanging out in the middle of the day. That's where this happened. But the interesting thing is that if you go to the Gospel of John, it tells a story of Jesus going to Jerusalem one day for a festival. And look at what it says. Then came the Feast of Dedication at Jerusalem. It was winter, and Jesus was in the temple area walking in Solomon's colonnade. You see what's happening here? Peter and John are literally standing where Jesus stood, not that many months earlier. They are walking where Jesus walked. If you've ever gotten to visit the Holy Land, this reality hits you every once in a while. 
Jesus might have stood right here. Jesus might have spoken from this very spot. It's an exhilarating feeling. And I don't think that was lost on Peter and John that day. They're not only walking where Jesus walked, they, they are doing what Jesus did. They're healing a man crippled from birth. And, and, and they're, they're, they're saying what Jesus said, that, that he's the one who's come to save God's people. In that moment, Peter realizes that the power of the risen Christ is now flowing through him, through them, to change people's lives and transform a city. So he tries to explain that to the crowd. When Peter saw this, he said to them, people of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as, as if by our own power or godliness we had made, made this man walk? Peter wants them to understand, wants us to understand that there was nothing special about them as human beings. They are ordinary men, just like everyone else in the crowd that day. There's another power at work here, Peter says, a power greater than any of us can ever imagine. He continues, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. God is behind this, Peter says. The God you have worshipped for your whole lives. The God who called you and formed you to be his people. The God you thought you knew, but who has now revealed himself through his servant, Jesus, who lived and died and rose again right before your very eyes. And then he delivers the punchline. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him as you now all can see. And friends, church, this is what hit me as I sat on the couch that Tuesday morning. Because of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit has come. And the same power and the same name that was available to Peter and John is now available to us in all of its fullness and power. Two ordinary men on an ordinary day doing what ordinary people do. And suddenly the presence of Christ, the power of Christ is let loose and a man's life is changed and a whole city comes alive with the presence of God. Something extraordinary happens. Pentecost marks the beginning of a new era in the purposes of God. You see, up until this time, all through the history of God's people, the Holy Spirit would come once in a while on particular people for a special purpose and a short period of time. Moses, Elijah, David, Deborah the judge, Esther, Isaiah, specific people, chosen for a unique opportunity for a very short period of time. These kinds of things were few and far between for thousands of years. And here at this point, it's been hundreds of years, a thousand years even, since the people of Jerusalem have seen anything like this. And now suddenly Jesus shows up 
and he's performing signs and wonders. And now these two ordinary men, these fishermen, are performing miracles as well. It's a new day. It's a new day, not just for the people of God. It's a new day for for humanity. The name of Jesus, the power of God, is now set loose in the world to heal and save and transform and make new, to change lives and homes and communities and the world. Friends, every time you and I walk out the door to school or work or neighborhood, we walk out with the name of the same name on our hearts, the same spirit at work in our hearts. And we get to offer people the same things that James, Peter, and John offered, our attention and the name of Jesus. We all can offer those two things, our attention. Are we doing that? Are we noticing the people we cross paths with every day? Now, I realize their needs may not be as obvious as this man's needs were. But if we'll look long enough, if we'll listen carefully enough, the Holy Spirit just might reveal to us what need or longing is in that person's heart. Are we noticing people? And are they noticing us the way this beggar noticed James, Peter, and John? Is there something about our demeanor, about our kindness, about our joy, about our generosity, about the quality of our work, about the the joy in our hearts, about our generosity of spirit? Is there something about us that makes them stop and take notice and think that we might have something to offer them? And is that something Jesus? I was struck by Peter's words to the crowd, by faith in the name of Jesus. This man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name. And sitting on my couch that morning, I was reminded what a wonderful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name it is. What a powerful name it is. Jesus captured my imagination when I was five years old. And I welcomed him into my heart. And he has never failed to surprise me, to amaze me, to stretch me, to grow me, to meet me in every experience of life. And this room, whatever room you're in right now, is full of people whose lives have been transformed by Jesus. Now, I realize we can't always lead with the name of Jesus in our everyday settings. It's not always appropriate. It's not always wise. But we dare not forget what a wonderful name it is. What a beautiful life he lived. What a sacrificial death he died for the sins of the world. What a powerful victory he won when he rose from the dead and offered new and eternal life to everyone who believes. As important as it is for us to do good in the world, to be good for our neighborhood and our family and our workplace and our city, it is even more important that we offer people this name of Jesus the one name that can meet their deepest need and their highest longings. 
the one name that can change them and save them. Sooner or later, we need to point people to Jesus. And for some of us, it needs to be sooner rather than later. Because sometimes, self-included, we can be so careful, so circumspect, so politically correct that we never get around to offering them the one name above all names that can speak to their deepest need and their highest longing. This is what I wrote in my journal that morning. I'm struck by the power of the name of Jesus. Either we believe in this name or not. Either this is about a supernatural relationship with the living God or it's mere religion. Either this is gospel or it's just church. I need, I want to proclaim the name of Jesus unashamedly, unapologetically, and unreservedly. And as I said, as I scribbled that in my journal, I sensed it wasn't just for me, it was for us. It was for Grace Chapel. Friends like these men and women, we are just beginning to embrace in a new way what it means to go and make disciples, to go and do the work of Jesus in the world. That's a wonderful thing to do. But let's not forget as we go, let's do it in the name of Jesus. Let's do it with his beauty and grace and kindness and love so evident in us that people are so struck by what we do and how we do it that they wonder who it is who makes us tick that they want to come and see the one who lives in our hearts. The summit video we watched a few minutes ago reminded us that we are all people of influence. We, we all have skills and talents and jobs and networks that provide us with daily opportunities to offer people our attention in the name of Jesus. We want to learn to do that well. We want to get better at it. And that's why we're teaching a series like this for the good of the world. That's why the summit is such a great tool for strengthening our ability to do good in this world. But even as we learn what it means to be good for, for our families and good for the neighborhood and good for the work and good for the earth and good for the nations, let's not forget this most basic thing is that we are good for the world when we go in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. We are good for the world when we go in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Let's not forget that. As we walk out the door here in a few minutes, as we walk out the door tomorrow on our way to wherever life brings us. I realize we don't, we don't typically see the kinds of miracles that happened there that day. Not many of us have the gift of physical healing as Peter and John had. We do want to remember that this was a unique, pivotal moment in redemptive history, like the time of the Exodus, like the days of Elijah. God is validating his messengers and his message with these signs and wonders. But let's never miss the fact that miracles are happening every day. Lives are being changed. The room you're sitting in right now is filled with people whose lives have been changed by Jesus. Marriages that have been saved. Addictions that have been broken. 
Relationships that have been restored. Suicides have been averted. Crippling anxieties have been lifted. Grief has been comforted. Meaninglessness has been transformed into missional living. Hope has been renewed. Loneliness has been overcome by the love of God and his people. I wish you could have been with the folks in Foxborough last evening as they told stories around the room of how God had found them and saved them and brought them together at this time and this place. It's a miraculous thing that's happening there. We don't ever want to lose sight of that. Either we believe in this name or not. Either this is about a supernatural relationship with the living God or it's mere religion. Either this is gospel or it's just church. I want We want to proclaim the name of Jesus unreservedly, unapologetically, and unashamedly. That's what I want to do here today. If you've been hanging around here at Grace Chapel for a while, and you've found the sermons helpful, and and the music inspiring, and the people friendly, and the mission compelling, that is wonderful. But if you have not yet turned to Jesus in repentance and faith and invited him to forgive you for your sins and failures and set you free to begin becoming the person you were meant to be, then you are missing the best part. You are missing what it's all about. And if that's our fault for not making it clear to you, please forgive us. And if you need more time because you're still checking it out, then you take all the time you need. You shouldn't rush into anything. But I want everyone here today to know that Jesus is the one. He is the only one who can save you from whatever it is that's keeping you from becoming that person you were born and meant to be. That Jesus is the one who can heal, save, free, restore and empower to live a life of significance and to enjoy eternity in heaven with him and his people forever. Jesus is the one who can do that. And if you have never received him into your heart, you can do that today in these very moments. I just, I want not everyone listening here today to know that. I want everyone I know to understand that. I want everyone I meet, I want everyone you meet to know that as we make our way through our lives from day to day. So as we head out the door every day, let's be sure we are carrying with us the name of Jesus in the fullness of his spirit. You know what they call the season after Pentecost on the church calendar? They call it ordinary time. They call it ordinary time because after Pentecost, there's no more major festivals until you get to Advent and the beginning of the new church year. Ordinary time. But what we've just discovered this morning is that even in ordinary time, God can do extraordinary things. When ordinary people like you and me go in the name of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, we invited you to speak to us today and we trust that you have not through me, but through your word, through your spirit. Pray that each one of us here today might 
hear the particular invitation we need to hear. That we would not settle for anything less than a life lived fully with you and for you. Lead us into that life, Lord, wherever we are on our journey, individually and collectively as your people, that we might live and be for the good of the world and the glory of your name and the joy of our souls. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have now to linger a few moments in your presence around this table, thinking together about the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord. Meet us here, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.